Welcome back to another episode of the My Latin Life podcast. Since 2014, My Latin Life has been your trusted guide to traveling and living in Latin America. Today, my guest is Nate Kapitansky, also known as Jam Master Nate on Twitter. Uh, he's a friend of Sam Miller, one of our previous podcast guests. He comes from a tech background, and now he's hosting high-end Airbnbs in Colombia. Longtime expat, been living in Colombia for many years, knows the region well, and so I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about. Nate, how's it going, man? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me on. It's good to uh, speak to you uh, somewhere other than Twitter for once. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, starting with Twitter, maybe tell us where does Jam Master Nate come from? Where does your uh, your alter ego come from there? Uh, yeah, that's funny because uh, nobody here really gets it, like none of the locals. But, uh, you know, I was just like a really big Run DMC fan back in uh, back when I was a little bit younger and uh, kind of super into that old school hip hop stuff. And uh, so I just stole Jam Master J and turned it into Jam Master Nate as uh, when I was like, literally sitting there at twitter.com uh, back in like 2018 thinking what do i do for a username <laughs> and now you're stuck with it yeah now i'm stuck with it and so <laughs> like people here will call me jam or something if they see me on twitter or, or uh, instagram and they don't really know that's not my name <laughs> good uh so why don't you uh tell the people the audience a little bit about your background maybe where you're from how you ended up in uh latin america slash colombia and uh yeah i just run me run me through it yeah sure so i grew up in new england and um uh you know i was never really a fan of it like since i was little i was always looking to get out and uh move somewhere um warmer somewhere more interesting you know there wasn't a lot of opportunities there and i noticed that since i was little and uh you know eventually for a little while i, I bounced around like uh, california and new york city and then i just kind of got sick of new york city even because the winters are pretty rough so i ended up moving to miami like i was doing pretty good um uh financially at that time like uh, making money online um uh, essentially been in the software industry and uh, so I said, let me go to Miami. And this was like 2006, seven. And, uh, and so at the time, Miami was definitely not the Miami it is now. Um, but it was cool. Like Miami was an up and coming city that was cool. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like the Miami Heat had just won the championship back then. And, and a lot of eyes were on Miami. I think they did like the MTV VMAs there or something. And it just seemed really cool. And so I actually ended up taking a trip to Florida for work. And then I hopped over to Miami and I really liked it right away. So um, I moved there like right after pretty much and uh, just started working remotely in the winters from there. And the funny thing about Miami, you know, after growing up in New England is that it's just so different. It's so Latino. Like you're exposed to Latinos, obviously, in New York and uh, California, but it's just very different. Uh, with so many Cubans and Colombians and, you know, at the time, like a lot of Venezuelans were starting to come. Um, so uh, essentially like my, my group of friends that I met there were Cubans and Colombians. And so after a couple of years, I think it was Labor Day weekend, my friend said, Hey, let's go to, to Medellin. Let's go to check out Colombia. And he was actually Colombian. And he said, uh, you know, it'll be safer with me. Like I didn't even speak Spanish at the time. So, you know, obviously he said he'll translate and yeah, we'll have a good time. It'll be cool. Like he was explaining that Colombia had gotten 
uh, safer and all of that. So nothing to worry about. So uh, him and my other buddy from New York, we went down and just the first night we were like, this is awesome. <laughs> that was like all the motivation I needed to, to uh, learn Spanish. And at, so this was, you know, you have to, in context, this was like after the financial crisis in the US kind of. So when I moved to Miami, things were pretty cheap still. And then uh, as we were like coming out of the financial crisis, stuff started getting really expensive. So it was definitely an eye opener coming to South America or coming to Colombia specifically. Um, I had been to Brazil before, but it was much more expensive. And so coming to Colombia and seeing, you know, just how strong the dollar was, how good you can live. And it was kind of just like, why am I paying these Miami prices? And again, this was like back in the day, Airbnb was kind of new, but Airbnb had gotten a little bit more established at that point. So it was becoming a viable option to pretty much live anywhere in the world on Airbnb, um, you know, off like $2,000, $3,000 a month. That was like a lot, obviously. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and so what was, what lot. year was it the first year you went to Columbia? Uh, the first year that I went here to visit was uh, 2013. So it's been nine years now. Um, and then I came back fully to live in like 2015. That's a good amount of time. So you started living full time in 2015. How did you choose what city? <laughs> That's a funny question because I feel like I've, I still haven't chosen a city. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I really like about Colombia is that there's a lot of cool places you know, so I'm a big fan of Medellin. I'm a big fan of Bogota. I'm a fan of um, the coast. Uh, and, you know, Cali's great. There's there's all these cool places. So I feel like I have a little bit of like ADHD and I'm always like, oh, man, I want to be in, you know, I want to be in Bogota. I want to be in the place that I'm not at the moment. <laughs> so it's cool because it keeps it fresh. Like, you know, you literally just hop on a flight and 30 minutes later from Medellin, you're in Bogota. Mm hmm. So what, what, what city have you spent the most time in? Yeah, I would say I've definitely spent the most time in Medellin, though. Um, uh, so what I'm working on now is kind of uh, like foreign real estate investments. And I've mostly concentrated that in Medellin. Um, uh, so I've definitely been spending the most time there. That was, that was definitely where I started. Um, and... Uh, kind of on your last question, uh, Medellin was really good for, for Spanish, like Spanish schools. There's a lot of reasons that people were talking about it a while ago. Uh, you know, that's why like Medellin is super popular now, but like it was really good for, for, for a beginner, um, in Colombia. Definitely makes sense. And, uh, I think we only mentioned it offline. I don't think I've said it in the episode yet, but you are friends with Sam Miller, who was uh, one of our early podcast guests um, Sam's also well known for doing Airbnb and stuff in Colombia. When did you uh, originally meet him? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I met him in like 2017 or 18 in Bogota. I think actually a Gringo Tuesday was the first time we met and just kind of bumped into each other. Like, oh, I know who you are. You're the super tall. <laughs> You're like, he stands out, right? So uh, it was like, oh, there's Sam. Let me go talk to this guy. Because I think maybe we had spoken over email. You know, about like, uh, hey, I'm invest. Uh, I'm interested in investing in Bogota, and uh, so we we had spoken over email. But yeah, I think that was like 2018, and then you know I've definitely hung out with him a few times before in Medellin now, and 
and yeah, he's a super cool guy. And uh, also friends with Jake Nomada. Um, he's also one of my buddies too. So I know you've had him on here. He's a big, mm-hmm. he's a fan of the podcast and fan of your work. <laughs> That's awesome. And um, I, I did actually want to mention this. So uh, Gringo Tuesdays, why don't you tell people what this legendary event Gringo Tuesdays is for those who don't know? Oh, yeah. So um, it started in Bogota, but it's actually in Medellin now, too. And um, it's just there's nothing else to do on on Tuesday nights, really. So uh, I don't know who the people are, but they started this party a long time ago. And it's just it starts as a language exchange, um, really, like after work. And uh, and then it turns into a nightclub like environment, essentially, you know, at night around 9 p.m. And it's just super well known because, again, nobody really has anything else to do on Tuesdays. And um, so it's well known in the gringo and like our gringo expat communities. And um, uh, it's pretty cool, actually, if you're trying to learn a language. Like I'm actually interested now to go to something like that and uh, be able to speak Portuguese to people because I'm trying to learn Portuguese. Mm -hmm. So I see why I see why locals do it now. Yeah, maybe you've heard of uh, Mundo Lingo. Um, it's like a chain of events like that. Oh, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's obviously best to be practicing with another live person like in front of you. And, and uh, so they have it in Medellin as well now. I've gone to that. I've stopped by that a couple of times, but it's definitely not as epic as the, the Bogota one. And the um, so at, at that point in time, I, I imagine that Sam Miller was pretty well known for his YouTube channel and uh, especially, you know, in, in Bogota, people probably knew who he was. Was there kind of, um, uh, for lack of a better word, like a value differential when, you, you know, <laughs> you knew he was and you were like, Sam, like, what's up? And <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Tell me how, how did that go? Yeah, no, I mean, he's a super nice guy. So um, he's super approachable. But uh, you're right, though. He, his channel was definitely one of the early the early gringos uh, exploring Colombia, not just um, Bogota or Medellin. Like he's done a lot of videos all around Colombia and um, uh, the company that he was working with life afar, they were super well known. And so I'm sure he got it all the time. I'm sure it wasn't just me who came up to him. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when did you make your first, actually before I'll come back to the, the Airbnb stuff later. Um, so you mentioned Jake Nomada, you've hung out with him in, uh, in Bogota. Or in Colombia? Um, you know, that's a good question. I don't think I actually have hung out with him in Colombia. So I know on the last episode with him, uh, he was talking about Paraguay, and I actually went on that trip as well. So we've hung out in Paraguay, uh, Mexico. Um, I forget a few other places. I actually don't know if we hung out in Colombia. I can't remember. Interesting. So you went on that early Paraguay trip. Um and this is at a point when Paraguay was very unknown. Um, when did you guys go? Like 2018? I think it was 2019. It was the year before COVID, I believe. And it was just, you know, like we'd been talking about travel. And uh, I think he was he was down there in Argentina. And then he was going there. And I said, uh, man, if I'm ever going to go to Paraguay, like it's better if I go while a friend is there, right? So, um, yeah, I went. <laughs> And uh, it's funny because another reason that I was interested in Paraguay was the, the the buddy from Miami who took me to Medellin. He also, I believe, after that trip in 
or no, it was actually a separate trip, but he went back to South America and he went, he went all over and uh, he actually went to Paraguay as well and said it was really cool. So I, I had been looking for that excuse to go to Paraguay for a while. And did you go on the trip uh, to sort of like the north of the country where you saw uh, Lopez's, uh, the, the, the marker, the statue where Lopez died in, in that national park up at uh, Cerro Cora, whatever it's called? Yeah, no, I didn't go on that. I had Jake was there for like a month, I think, or a little bit longer. And I basically went for, for 10 days or something like that. I couldn't escape for too long. I was working on some stuff in Miami. So um, he went with our other buddies. Uh, that that he told the story about meeting them on the plane. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, I missed that. But I did get a good tour around Asuncion. Did you go down to Encarnacion? No, I didn't get to. We didn't really leave the city that time. We kind of just hung out in the city and went all Yeah, around. it's tough to do in a short trip. It's like a six-hour bus ride or something. Yeah, I would have loved to do the, Yeah, all that stuff like on the border. And um, uh, he did some other stuff, like he went to Foz de Guasu, or he went over to that area as well. And I had done that before, uh, when I had to go to like a wedding in Foz. Um, so yeah, he kind of planned that, I think around me, like leaving. <laughs> nice. So you've been all over the region, but you've, you know, Mexico, Paraguay, et cetera, but you've kind of made Colombia your home. Uh, why Colombia? How did you choose Colombia? Um, yeah, so I've, I've been to the majority of South America and, um, the first trip I went to Brazil and that was, it was pretty cool, but it was definitely expensive, you know, living nice in Rio is definitely expensive. And then, and then we did all that other stuff like Chile and Argentina, but it didn't really click for me. Like Chile definitely didn't click for me, but when, like I said, when I went to Colombia, it was just right away, like, oh, this is awesome. Um, it was just, you felt it. And so I had a lot of uh, desire to go back and, and really try and spend time here in Colombia. But uh, I mean, there really are a lot of other awesome places. I'm definitely now that I've traveled around even more in the region, you know, I, I definitely am a fan of Peru. Um, Ecuador is cool. Uh, it, it's a little different, like the weather is not so great there. But uh, there's a lot of really cool places. But um, yeah, I'm definitely a fan of Colombia and has a lot of things going for it with like the the temperature you know again because i'm from the north in the u.s and the cold like i really like warm weather so um that was definitely one thing that attracted me and, and kept me here and it's a little bit of the reason why it's hard for me to live in bogota full time and like to spend too much time there because the gray colder weather kind of kind of kills me even though i love large cities but um yeah, just there's so many little things that all add up in Colombia for me, like lifestyle. Let's go through. Let's go. Yeah, let's go through some of those little things, um, like that add up to make you say that this place is awesome. Sure. Yeah. So first, you know, proximity to the U.S. Right. Like it's uh, the uh, first country right at the top of South America, so it's such an easy flight for Miami, um, and uh, the time zone. Um, when I was working remote, like the time zone was just great. You know, it's right now it's, uh, equal to, uh, Eastern standard time and the other half of the year, it's an hour behind Eastern standard time. So it's a very easy remote work, uh, schedule. Like I've spent a lot of time in Asia as well. And it's just, it's pretty, it can be pretty brutal 
knowing that you have to do a call at 3 p.m. Eastern time, which is like 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. Uh, uh, time in Asia. So I imagine with uh, remote work, like that's one of the things where people are really looking at in terms of this region in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like the time zone, again, the climates, it's, it's super cool that Colombia is such a diverse country. It's not a super huge country compared to the U.S. or anything like that. But it has so many different climates. Like uh, I'm here on the coast right now, and it's super warm. I just went to Cali this weekend with some friends, and uh, it was it was a little bit less warm, but it was warmer than Medellin, for example, and it was you know two steps warmer than than Bogota. <laughs> so, uh, and that's all within you know a thirty to seventy minute flight. Yeah, so good flight connections to the states, good weather, pretty cheap. Yeah, the uh, things are going up in cost uh, somewhat um, because of inflation. Like the things that they're importing are going up, but it's still super cheap. Uh, pesos dropping, so other things are are cheaper. And um, uh, for example, like Airbnb prices have gone up definitely. So that's one of the things that I'm referring to. That's that's gone up. Like there's just so much more tourism now that the demand has increased the prices. Um, uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on the, the coast of Colombia? Um, by which I guess I mean the, the Northern coast. Yeah. Uh, I really, really love it. Uh, one of my favorite places is definitely Parque Tyrona. Um, just outside of Santa Marta. Like when people ask me, what's my favorite beach, uh, you know, with no hesitation, I can say this place called Baya Concha. Um, it's like the f- closest beach that's technically Parque Tyrona to Santa Marta. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to stay in Santa Marta and then, and then arrive there. But there's just so much uh, really nice stuff over there. And, um, and really along that coast to like Palomino, towards Rio Acha, uh, La Guajira. But those are definitely more remote and like you kind of are unplugged. Like you're kind of off the grid once you get over there. But even Cartagena, I mean, uh, there's really nice chain of islands, um, Islas de Rosario, I believe is the name, del Rosarios. And uh, those are super beautiful as well. Um, most people probably go to Baru, um, but the, the, the islands are, are awesome as well. It's just, if you like beaches, like after living in Miami, I became a huge fan of the beach. <laughs> so uh, I like to be close to the beach and, um, you know, even if you're in Medellin or Bogota, it's so easy to travel to the coast. So again, that's a super plus of mm-hmm. here. And uh, they're really, they're starting to up their game on the coast now in terms of accommodations as well. Accommodations and connectivity, because, you know, for a lot of people that uh, internet connection. Yeah, like the Santa Marta internet was always pretty bad. Yeah. And they're definitely um, creating like higher end hotels and things like that for, for people that are not looking for like hostels or or sleeping on a hammock, <laughs> things like that. So I think most people have been to the, I guess, Santa Marta, Barranquilla, um, Cartagena corridor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, not a lot of people make it all the way to the Rio Acha and that sort of peninsula. I don't know the name of the actual whole peninsula there. But it's like very desert-like, right? Is it? Is it? Uh, t- tell us more about like how how things are out there. You go to uh, La 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 Guajira. 
Guajira. Guajira. Yep. yep. Um, there's a place called El Cabo that looks cool. I have some like random stars in, in my phone from different spots, but I've never made my way out there. Could you describe it to the people a bit? <laughs> yeah, sure. So that was something that I did last year. And then I've been exploring a little bit of the, the other side of the coast of Colombia this year towards like Monteria, like south of Cartagena, essentially. So that's also really cool. But the um, uh, La Guajira that you're talking about, like mm-hmm. uh, I went there, basically we started in Santa Marta. We went to Santa Marta, then Palomino, and then stopped in Rio Acha. And then we went to uh, the place we were talking about, Cabo de la Vela. And uh, man, I have to say, it's definitely super cool and interesting, but it, it's honestly um, one of the more unfortunate things uh, that you'll see in Colombia, like the poverty is just next level. It's, uh, you know, it's probably comparable to Africa level of poverty there. And um, it's like worse up there than down on the other side on the Pacific coast. Um, like you know, I haven't, to, I actually haven't gone to Choco yet and that Pacific coast over there specifically. So I don't have that comparison yet. That's on my list, but uh, it is really bad. It's, it's really rough, man. And um, for an example, like that ride was really tough because it's so hard to see the road even. I mean, the road is really just a dirt track. And uh, when we went, it had it was like the end of rainy season. So we had to continuously ask the locals like along the way, hey, can we can we can we continue ahead or, do you know, if it's flooded, like do we have to go off road? And uh, so luckily, again, I was actually with that same buddy from Miami uh who brought me to colombia and we rented a car we rented a, a like a suv and uh, i mean you need an suv you cannot do that in a in a regular car and a lot of the the tours that take you over there are definitely like souped up suvs um because it's it's no joke to arrive over there and it's just really rough and you're going super slow it's not on the map it, it's not that far from rio Acha, but it's it's a long like bumpy slow journey and it's extremely basic over there. It's extremely beautiful. And uh, I think, I believe it's like kite surfer heaven over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a kite surfer, definitely recommend it. But it's it's a journey, man. Interesting. I didn't realize it was quite that rough because it looks like the, I don't know. I just see the, the, the highway line on Google Maps. It looks, looks decent, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's the. Yeah, I mean, once you get over there, it's uh, it's definitely not a highway. I can tell you that. Fair enough, but it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's really really nice. It's just have you? It, it's tough because you struggle with it. You know, it's like this natural beauty, and then you just honestly feel bad for everybody over there. Like it's an obvious failure of the government. Yeah, well, there's definitely a lot of beautiful places in the world that don't quite have the the infrastructure. Um, so next question uh, uh, would be, um, have you been to Valle du Par? <laughs> that's funny you say that because that's uh, extremely high on my list right now. Um, I have not been, but uh, there's actually a direct flight now from Barranquilla. And I could see there pretty quick. And it has like a really good time. Like you can go for a Friday night and leave Sunday afternoon or Monday morning. So that'll be coming up in the next couple months. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people from Valladupar here. Like I actually just had lunch with someone from, from there. And so you're in Barranquilla right now. I am. Yep. 
What uh, tell people a little bit about Barranquilla, the least the least touristic uh, major city along the coast? Yeah, so it's super well known for the carnival, um, and it's the second largest carnival uh, other than the one in Rio, uh, in Brazil. But um, it's just a place with really good energy. I really like it. It's it's too hot for a lot of people, but again, I kind of have become accustomed to the warm weather after Miami. So, um, and there's certain seasons that are definitely warmer, like being in here, being here in June, July, August is pretty brutal, but, um, the weather's taming down a little bit right now. Um, right in the winter, quote unquote, less humid. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a city that's growing because of the port, you know, it's in a pretty essential port. So they have, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of like middle-class people here and, um, and businesses are growing here, but it's definitely not, uh, it's a tourist city. Um, it's kind of, it's literally like right in the middle of Santa Marta and Cartagena. So a lot of times people come here to check it out. If they're in one of those, you know, I was actually, that was what I did the first time I was in Cartagena and I, uh, arranged like a, like a, one of the shared bands to bring me to Barranquilla and it kind of just dropped me off and threw me into the mix which was uh, really good for my Spanish. It was really good practice at the time because it's so fast and they have a lot of different slang here. Um, so it was like an interesting learning experience, like kind of like a test a challenge <laughs> at the time. Mm-hmm. Pretty good, like party scene. What, what, what does it kind of look like from a nightlife perspective in uh, Barranquilla? Yeah, from a nightlife perspective, um, it's had the same places for a long time. So uh, literally one of my friends here, he told me that uh, one of the, the main places here, which is called the Frog, uh, or Frog Legs, I believe is like the full name, but everybody just calls it Frog. Like he's been going there for, you know, 15 years and it's pretty much the same as it was. Uh, and then there's another like main street that has uh, more local spots. And there's this infamous place, La Troja, which is like salsa and, and just crazy costeño energy. It's a, it's a wild place. <laughs> yeah. And I guess for people that are unfamiliar with, uh, Costeños and, and sort of what that signifies in Colombia, like how would you sort of, uh, like, like categorize the different cultures regionally in Colombia? Um, and then I guess, uh, Costeño culture specifically. Yeah, sure. Hopefully the Costeños, if anyone listens to this, who's Costeño, hopefully they don't kill me, but you know, the Costeños definitely, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Best they efforts. Have, yeah, <laughs> they have a, you know, the stereotype is just that they're a little lazy, um, you know, like they're living on the coast near the ocean and, and it's kind of like island life, like things are a little slower pace, things go at their own pace here. And I love it, but it, it's true. I mean, it really is true. Like it's hard to um, get people to show up on time or do exactly what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it. So it's, it's tough as a foreigner to get used to that. Mm-hmm. But, um, and like you compare that with culture in, uh, in like Medellin, like the Paisas are known for being super entrepreneurial. And so you still have issues like just coming from the US, we're just accustomed to a different level of service and our expectations are very different. So, I mean, it really applies to everywhere in the country. It applies to a large portion of South America from what I've seen. Um, Again, I hope someone doesn't kill me for saying that, but, you know, Bogota is really the place where people get stuff done. Like Bogota is the New York of Colombia. You know, people are 
are moving around faster, like life's a little bit more faster paced. They really have the highest expectations there. And uh, you find the most people that like have moved from other places to, to try and make it in Bogota and try and live there. Mm-hmm. And so more people like live by themselves and uh, they're more focused on their work, their career. Um, that's really, you know, where the largest companies are in Colombia, other than uh, some big ones that are also in Medellin. But that's, that's kind of like, if you look at like the three biggest places, kind of like the coast, uh, Medellin and Bogota, that's kind of the summary, I guess, that I would use for for those various regions and the stereotypes. Yeah, go go into it a little bit more though with the Costeños. So I think, um, for example, one thing is, um, I think on the coast they drink more rum, whereas up uh, in the mountains it's more aguardiente. For example, <laughs> it's so funny because it's so true. Uh, like if you order a bottle of Aguadiente in Medellin, I mean, you can give it out to all the locals. They're going to be super excited. If you order a bottle of rum or whiskey in Medellin, they're not going to be that excited to like share the bottle with you. And um, I've been going back and forth uh, between Medellin and Barranquilla recently. So I've literally seen this in the last like month. So yeah, on the coast, you know, you got to order, yeah, order some rum. <laughs> and then, uh, like I said, I was just in Cali. You go to Cali for the weekend and they have their own, uh, Valle de Cauca uh, type of aguardiente there. So you have to order that. <laughs> Are you familiar with uh, champeta music? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's it's crazy. As a foreigner, you're just like, what is this music? But it's amazing. It's so cool when you see the people dancing it and uh, like girls dancing it. And it's just, I mean, it's hard. It's, it's like super fast. So it's kind of like you're running. <laughs> But mm-hmm. uh, I love that music. You know, they throw it in in the mix here. Uh, the nightlife is more like there's not as much dedicated reggaeton as uh, there would be like a Medellin. Like everywhere you go in Medellin is mostly going to be reggaeton unless you seek out a place with kind of like a mix of everything. But here it's really a mix of like reggaeton, uh, some salsa or um, bayonato, and then champeta definitely is thrown in as well. Right, so they're kind of because it's kind of a meeting of worlds, or they're trying to they're trying to balance all the sounds. Yeah, yeah, but it's like the urban music of Colombia now, or the urban coastal music of Colombia. Champeta, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first time I was introduced to it, I I fell in love. I was like, "What is this? This is hilarious." It kind of reminded me of like Brazilian funk music a bit. Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of kind of their urban take on it, and it's really cool. It's uh, definitely something that's grown on me. But I really like it now. Like, I'm a fan. My buddy here is actually doing a documentary with another local on kind of like the history of Champeta. So he's been showing me all this footage, going around all these uh, places that are like historically significant to the the origins of Champeta around um, Cartagena and I think like to the south of there. Mm-hmm. So it's been kind of cool to see some of that stuff recently. Right, because it's both uh, Cartagena and, and Barranquilla. Yeah, I believe Champeta is technically from Cartagena, but uh, because Barranquilla is so close, like it's super popular here and they've ad- adapt- adopted it. Um, but I really think it's that whole coast, you know, down to like Cincelejo and, and that area even. Yeah, if anyone's listening, I highly recommend you open your Spotify or, or I guess just YouTube and look for a, a Champeta playlist. So it's spelled uh, C-H-A-M-P-E-T-A champeta and it's just like a very high rpm and uh, it's impossible to not dance 
<laughs> yeah, I actually have a really good Champeta playlist here on Spotify. It's called Champeta 2000, uh, 2021, and it has like a Colombian flag after it. So if you see that one, that's <laughs> I've been I've been jamming out to lately. <laughs> it it is uh, very fascinating how how different the regions of uh, Colombia can be because there's definitely a lot more regional variation in Colombia than of course in the in the U.S. for example. Yeah, absolutely. But um, it, it also kind of spills over into Venezuela culture really as well, because obviously they're neighbors right here on the coast. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, there's a lot of people from uh, Maracaibo in Venezuela here. Mm-hmm. And, and like I meet a ton of people um, from from there over here now as uh, they've migrated. And so like it's super everybody's told me that it's super similar to their culture over there. Yeah, there's a bit of a continuum, I think, between uh, Panama, Colombia, Venezuela, and then Ecuador as well, to, to an extent. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And then, yeah, once you get to Peru, it kind of becomes a little different. It definitely changes. But it's like in these four countries, like they all use the, they all say vaina for cosa, <laughs> for example. And they have a lot of like similar terms like um, pelau for, for kid, uh, stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. The uh, you definitely have to learn Vina before you come here because you're gonna hear it all the time. <laughs> so I'm trying to think uh, what to go over next. We talk a little bit about Airbnbs, not even just a little bit. Let's do let's do a deep dive because this is, um, I guess, kind of one of your main areas of expertise. And I and when I asked Sam Miller, I said, "What should I ask Jam Master Nate about?" He said, you got to ask him about the Airbnb stuff and specifically remote Airbnb ownership. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, I was actually just listening to the podcast recently and your last guest that you had on, at least at the time we're recording this, was uh, David. And he was talking about some of his Airbnb stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool to hear. You know, his his is really at a different scale than mine. He obviously has more units. But um, uh, so... Yeah, the story with my Airbnbs is that, like I said, coming from Miami, um, I've always kind of been interested in real estate, but I didn't really have the funds for it at the time uh, living in Miami. But I was trying to buy my first place in Miami. And uh, and then when you come to Columbia, you just see like the huge difference in prices, especially back in like 2015 when I started looking. And so uh, it all started because it was just um, hey, look, like I can finally afford something high end, really nice. And, and like, it's in my budget. And so um, I made my first investment in uh, Medellin. It's a building that's super well known, super infamous now. Uh, it's called Energy <laughs> Living, uh, because it was like one of the first like, high end short term rental places. And it has a really cool pool on the on the like the 22nd floor on the roof with like an awesome view of the city. So that was really my first, that was my first real estate investment uh, in general. And it was here in, in Columbia. Um, but then. Um, How did you finance it? Uh, yeah. So you really do have to pay cash for everything. Like I said, I had been kind of saving for Miami, but everything here is cash as a foreigner. You're completely outside of their system. So you're not going to be able to get a local loan, even if you did. It would be like a 10% um, interest rate or above. And kind of in retrospective, maybe that's not so bad because the peso devalues so quickly. But yeah, it's just you're like, it's going to be super hard for you to even get that. So I kind of had these funds saved up 
and uh, I was able to buy the first place. And I had a buddy um, who does uh, property management in Medellin. Again, Sam was only in Bogota really at the time. Uh, Life of Far had their Medellin arm. But I actually have another friend who was in real estate as well. And so I had his company managing the unit. And uh, things were good, like returns were good. And this was when Airbnbs were even cheaper on Medellin. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm super focused on like the experience and and the design and making things really, really good for digital nomads because like I'm my best audience, I'm my best customer. You know, I've stayed in over 100 and, 100 and something Airbnbs now. So I know like what's a good Airbnb and what's a bad Airbnb. And uh, I just wanted to set the place up really good for myself so like use it for myself uh, when I wanted to be there and when I wasn't uh, to be able to rent it out. And um, when you really focus on that stuff, like it's not so hard to find uh, other good uh, clients. And so uh, you, you've um, scaled up from one unit to more. Talk a bit about uh, what, what scaling uh, looked like for you. Yeah, so <laughs> it was kind of interesting because like I said, I, I want to be everywhere, right? So. Uh, it started out as really just Medellin. And then it was like, oh, I love Bogota too. I want to buy a place here. So um, I saved up for a while, bought another place in Bogota. Um, it was cheaper than Medellin. So, uh, and the returns are a little bit lower there. But uh, I bought in Bogota and, and things went pretty good there. And then uh, I was coming to Barranquilla a lot and the Airbnbs are just really, really bad here. So you noticed in Barranquilla that no one was really doing it properly. There was nothing um, targeted towards the digital nomad market that, you know, maybe made sure they, they posted the Wi-Fi speed or who knows. So you came in. What did you do in, in Barranquilla? Yeah, so because Barranquilla is definitely a second tier city, things were definitely not set up so great for digital nomads here. Like they were pretty rough. And um, some of the hotels are okay, but if you're going to be here, it's like, I definitely prefer an Airbnb. So after staying in a lot of Airbnbs here, it was just uh, a decision that I really liked the city. And so I was going to do the same thing again, where um, set it up ideally for myself, exactly how I want it. And then when I'm not here to be able to rent it out. And um, it's extremely tough to find something that's like up to standards of you know most americans it's it's not like there's not so many great buildings here uh so but i was able to find this really really cool unit in uh, a building here in the north of barranquilla and so that was actually at the time that was my cheapest apartment that i had bought in uh, as well <laughs> just because the, the the difference between price per square meter is mm -hmm. much lower here so um i took that leap of faith and bought a place here and uh, it's been going pretty good so far on Airbnb as well. This was like uh, about three years ago now. Would it cost like fifty grand? <laughs> no, it was still it was still around like a hundred and thirty five, hundred and forty somewhere around there at the time with the exchange rate. Okay. Um, but this was a, a much larger apartment, um, so that's why I say the you know the price per square meter is is uh, much better here. I mean, it's half of Medellin or it was half at the time, it would probably be even larger than that now. But, uh, and then, so from here, uh, it kind of became an issue of like, I have these apartments all over Colombia and I don't have <laughs> the best management system. You know, like I have one person managing uh, Medellin one, another person in Bogota handling it. Uh, 
uh, I kind of just had to find another person who was already doing Airbnbs here in, in Barranquilla and ask them to help me uh, as well, be like my local, my local contact, my local host. And, uh, and then, and then COVID happened. And I really, as I'm sitting there, I was kind of like, I need to focus on an area, you know, I need to kind of get to a level of scale where I can have someone managing where it makes sense to have like my own people uh, who work for me managing like the group of apartments. And so I really doubled down on Medellin and it was an interesting bet because it's worked extremely well. Like Medellin has just grown like crazy since, uh, since COVID. Um, so that's been working really well, but uh, that's, that's the point I'm at right now where I have my own employee and, uh, and we're managing all the stuff myself um, in Medellin now that I have three apartments there. Okay, interesting. And were you able to take on financing for any of them or did you have to like bring in partners? No, again, the financing is really, really tough here. Uh, like I would probably recommend for most people who want to buy something in Colombia that they try and get a loan in the US or in their home country and, uh, and use it. Uh, for the payments in Colombia, um, you know, you could maybe do something like own uh, seller financing here. Like maybe somebody would be into that. I know somebody who's done that, so it is possible. But um, I was kind of lucky uh, with my my uh, my job, my company, and we sold the company back in 2018. And so this was how I had this this capital. I was kind of um, looking like, what do I do with this money now now that I've sold my company? And, uh, so that was really the question. It was, that was why I needed to focus on, on an area. Mm. Definitely makes sense. Medellin must be a very interesting place to have Airbnbs cause you know, it's a, it's a party city and, uh, you must, you must get some crazy guests. Oh man. So now that I'm doing this myself, I haven't had anything too crazy so far, but all the stuff they read about. Medellin online is definitely true and um, like things happen there. So it's a, a very different guest than Bogota. <laughs> Someone's going to die in your unit, bro. <laughs> I don't know. Oh man, don't say that. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> so for this next question, Nate, you and I were talking offline, debating if we should even include it, but I think it's worth talking a little bit about scopolamine if I'm pronouncing it right, scope of me sure. and, uh, and, uh, devil's breath. It's it just become such a huge thing in Colombia, especially in the past couple of months. You know, there was a story of the Asian kid that, that passed away. And, um, I think I imagine, uh, probably to some, uh, some close friends or people, you know, uh, even people with, uh, experience in Colombia, it's probably happened, uh, in the past year. Yeah, so it's a it's a weird topic, but it's an important one right now because uh, you know as an Airbnb host, I definitely want to make sure that guests don't have issues, right? Like you don't want to babysit your guests. That's definitely not what I want to do. Um, but I, like everybody should stay safe because it's a very different um, it's very different than the U.S. It's very different than than uh, what people know in the U.S. and the norms and like people think that. Uh, it, like they they come to Medellin and you know they go out with someone that they don't really know and then and then bad things can happen. So uh, one important thing to mention there too is that when people talk about this unfortunate situation of like people being drugged and they and they use the word scopolamine, um, I feel like 
it's actually, well, there's actually evidence of this, but it's kind of just a blanket term for like these druggings because a lot of the time it's not actually scopolamine specifically. Um, there's been, like I've read over the years, various news articles uh, where people have unfortunately died, like they've been killed from these druggings. And then, you know, they'll follow up with like an, they'll mention like the autopsy came back as this. And so a lot of the times it's actually uh, pharmaceuticals, like prescription medicines, uh, like Xanax and stuff that they're putting in, that they're, you know, dropping in your drinks. And, uh, and those uh, have a crazy multiplying effect with alcohol. So it's extremely dangerous for your body. And, and then you're just out, but people use it. Like, like I said, like, it's kind of a blanket term for describing the situation that that's happening. And it's not right. Cause I guess what scope mean, like people are still awake in sort of like a zombie like state and uh, they can sort of, you can like get people to do things for you. And it's a weird sort of like compliance, compliance uh, drug, I guess you could say, but, but I guess if it was to be other drugs, like let's just say Xanax or something like that, that's to basically just like knock someone out uh when you're like for example already in their apartment yeah that's the stories that i've mostly heard um there's it's definitely happened when you're out as well like there's definitely been instances where i've heard that you know i know unfortunately i know a lot of people who have had this happen to them um like how many like how many uh personally i know like four or five and it actually and somebody that i went to cali with this weekend just got drugged there jesus yeah (laughs) <laughs> so it's a real thing. Uh, you know, I really want people to stay safe, like to come to Colombia and stay safe, but they have to be aware of these things. And so much of it can boil down to, to like two major safety points of uh, like, if you're going to meet someone, you should really, I mean, you should not meet someone without verifying a social media presence, like whether that's an Instagram, whether that's a Facebook, because in every single instance, uh, somebody has basically, uh, met someone, you know, from a dating app or whatever, and then they disappear. Like they just unmatch you, you know, they block you on WhatsApp and that's all you have. You have no other connection to this person. You don't know anything else about this person. Like they just got their SIM card with that phone number from someone on the street, uh, which is super easy to do. You know, it's not like every time you get a phone number here, it's, it's extremely registered with like your ID and traceable and all that. So it's, uh, super important to, again, verify social media, like that this person's a real person, their profile looks real, like it's not brand new, you know, they have friends leaving comments, things like that. And then uh, the other thing is just like staying in a building with a doorman, I can help you so much. Because uh, the people, uh, some of the people that I know, and this weekend in Cali, the person didn't have a doorman. And uh, when you don't have a doorman, that just means that the people can come and go, like you're knocked out, and they can take your keys, they can leave your apartment, they can come back to your apartment, you know, they can make multiple trips to literally take everything from your apartment. And I mean, it's super unfortunate that that it's come to this and that there's this scam. But, uh, you know, a lot of people have heard about this and they've seen maybe the vice, the infamous vice video of Scopolamine, like devil's breath, like, you know, like you said, like somebody blows it in your face and you become a zombie. Uh, but I think it's more common nowadays out there, you know, giving like sleeping pills or these uh, like Xanaxes, anxiety, and it's just knocking people out. Yeah, interesting. Um, do you think this could like 
have a material effect on your Airbnb income? Do you think it could have a material effect on tourism in Colombia? Uh, that, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've kind of been debating that recently uh, because obviously Medellin is the place that most people have heard about this happening in. It's definitely not happening at the levels of Medellin, like in, in Cali or in Bogota, but it is it is also happening there. But there's such a demand for the for Colombia right now. Like people, uh, you know, tourism is up so much here that I'm not sure it would have a material effect for me at this point. But if things continue and they get really bad and there's more there's more deaths, there's uh, a lack of proper like follow through and prosecution from from the authorities who are catching these people, then then it's possible. But uh, it is it is somewhat uh, of a topic that's being talked about a lot now like where what where this wasn't happening two three months ago and what why do you think that is just in the past two three months that it's uh come up more well at the time that we're recording this uh it was like two weeks ago that somebody got killed in medellin an american uh that you mentioned and yeah he was he was unfortunately like murdered by 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 this that you know they put something in his drink i'm not sure what it was at this point uh, I'm curious of those details, if it was scopamine or if it was, uh, you know, a prescription drug, but that did happen recently. So that's kind of on everyone's mind. And because this was an American, like it's gotten a lot of uh, news coverage here locally. I've seen a lot of uh, news coverage coming out of the U.S. even. I believe the family, like rightly so, is, uh, you know, kind of putting this out there in the media and trying to put pressure on on the U.S. embassy and then the Colombian authorities, obviously, to, to follow through and really bring justice here. And it's worth noting that it's not just happening to foreign tourists, that even local Colombians um, are also getting drugged. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Over the years, I've read stories of locals like one of, I believe, one of the ones I mentioned, the, the toxicology report was about a local. There's, it's also happened to people who, you know, they're foreign tourists, but their first language is Spanish. Uh, you know, it's not like because they didn't know what was going on on, on the, the the day or the with the people that they met. Like, for example, one one guy was a, a Cuban. Um, and he was unfortunately killed in Medellin as well, the same way. Wow. Yeah, I, I saw a statistic um, that like 25% of all hospitalizations are due to this. <laughs> I don't know about that. That, Dude, crazy. I saw it. It was I was like, because think about how underreported it is, because everyone's embarrassed, etc. I mean, there's like Facebook groups that are uh, like private Facebook groups where people are talking about this and trying to track people down and stuff. But I think most people don't even go that far. I think um, it's like widely underreported. But yeah, I saw something like 25% of all hospitalizations are due to scopolamine. That's crazy, but that's absolutely true with the underreporting. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people, because they don't know what to, they don't know where to go. Uh, their Spanish might not be so good to be able to explain it. You know, they're they're, and then when you wake up from all this, you know, you don't feel good. Like you're you're out of it for a few days. So people aren't really in the best mental state to, to to go report it properly and follow through. So that's definitely um, something that I've heard of a lot here. Yeah, I didn't want to use too much of the episode to talk about it, but uh, I don't, I don't know. You, you wanted to give it a little bit of a mention, and it, it's definitely quite topical. Any last uh, thoughts on it? 
Yeah, don't get in taxis with strangers either. Like, never, like, always order the taxi so you know where someone's coming from. Uh, and then, right, never have the girl order the taxi or the, yeah, the, the unknown not, Colombian person. Yeah, that's um, just not common, you know. Like, unfortunately, that's not the culture. Like, as the male, you know, you're kind of the, the provider. Like, you're the one who invited them out. So you're the one expected to, uh, you know, make sure that, like, they can arrive, that they can get home things like that. And so it's, it's super, it's, it's a red flag. If somebody's saying like, Oh no, don't worry. Like I got a taxi or, Oh, I already ordered a taxi. Like get in this car. <laughs> That's super sketchy. Right. Right. Or like, Oh, my cousin can give us a ride. Things like that. Yeah. That's, that's a red flag for sure. Yeah. Um, I'll switch it up for you though. Cause I, I don't want uh, too much of the episode to be about that, but, um, I guess just coming back to Airbnbs. So what what um, what would be some of your advice to people who are looking to get into the Airbnb uh, market or just real estate investment market in Colombia or in Medellin? Is it is it too late? Uh, you know, and they should have been a couple years earlier, or there's is there still enough opportunity? Yeah, yeah, really good question actually, because I think I have some insightful info here. So I would say that you know people need to look at how they can differentiate themselves uh, because if you're just going to be another like mid range or um, I don't know, mid range, like you'll get lost in the mix essentially if there's too many Airbnbs. And so you, one of the things that I always, always, always focus on is differentiating myself. Like what can I do better? Um, you know, what can I highlight that I do better? For example, like my, my work setups uh, in the apartments where I have like standing desks and I have really good Herman Miller chairs uh, compared to somebody with, you know, crappy $20 chair that they bought at a local store and they're like, okay, cool. Here's a desk and here's a, an uncomfortable chair for you to sit in for eight hours. Mm -hmm. Um, but then also people really need to know they need to get familiar with the local regulations because things are changing a lot. Um, they've changed a lot in other countries, uh, like the U S and Mexico. So things are becoming much more regulated. So you can't just buy some apartment in some random building and then think you're going to be able to rent it out for, uh, one to two nights to people like you have, you definitely have to follow the local, um, laws now. And, um, so that's super important because that it's really creating its own bubble of a market. You know, there's, there's thousands of buildings, but there's only, I don't know, dozens, a few dozen buildings that are like legal short-term, uh, rentals. So if that's what you want to do, then you need to make sure that you're buying in a building that's properly, licensed for all of this and that you can get your own license for your unit. And isn't that a bit of a risk? Because what if two, three years from now, let's just say something happens, God, for, God forbid someone gets scoped or just like some other issue. And let's just say the, 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 the board, the building board decides, look, no more short-term rentals. That could really be a big risk from uh, an investment perspective. Yeah, I would say that's already happened. It's um, uh, like you can't do short term because because that is the case. Like you're going to get outvoted by all the other owners or investors like local investors or owners in that building. And they're not going to want that. You know, they don't want gringos coming in, partying and being uh, obnoxious, stuff like that. So that's that's actually technically already the case. But if you have a building that already has this license and is properly set up for it, uh, all those owners are not going to want to change that. Like they're, they're essentially owner investors. And so um, 
but the way it works in Colombia is you have to have like a certain amount of the percentage of the owners that are on like the board, the association to be able to change anything, whether you change it from being short-term friendly or being uh, like being a long-term building and wanting to change it to short-term. Um, so that's how they like do that process legally. And so you kind of know, or if you're looking at doing something like this, you should know what the structure of the association is, like how many votes you would need to be the majority, uh, things like that. And that's, it's kind of moved to a little bit of like a lot of savvy investors are really looking at buying like whole buildings, you know, they're looking not 20 stories going to stay or buy like a house. Yeah. Well, houses, unfortunately still a lot of the houses, like a house can be in a neighborhood that's, uh, an association, like in a gated Mm -hmm. neighborhood, then you would have like your association and they could do the same thing in a house even. Um, so, but that's definitely happening where, where people are, are buying buildings now because then they know, uh, you know, they have, two, three, four story, five story buildings, you know, maybe up to like 20 units or something like that. But a lot of them are just like uh, maybe four to eight units is more typical. And then, uh, yeah, they buy the whole building, renovate the whole building, set it up super good for short term. Like you are the board and, uh, and you control that. Um, but luckily in Colombia, there's also a thing where anything over th- 30 days is considered a long-term rental. So it's very different than the U.S. where, for example, in Miami, like uh, anything under six months is a short-term rental in Miami or six months in one day, technically. But so it's it's just a very different local regulation right now. And, uh, you know, there's other things that could change like that. Like that would probably be the worst if that changed because that would affect a lot of people and the flexibility that they have with their units now. But um, there's probably other things that are coming as well that are going to make it hard for people who are thinking about investing like the taxes are definitely extremely high your your tax rate on your earnings here um is you know like 35 percent um so you have to really get like a good return uh to then justify you know your after-tax return um but uh what else uh for example mexico right now has a local like sales tax or whatever they want to call it on on rentals so you know you get your price like you get a hundred dollars a night and then you have the airbnb fees and then you have the the local tax and they also have that in miami now too and so i kind of feel like that's going to be coming in columbia not it's not a question of like if it's going to be coming it's just a matter of when and so would you uh at, at some point ever look to expanding to say mexico um I mean, I'm open. I'm definitely open to other places. Uh, the one thing that creates a headache and like it becomes another expense that you have to deal with and all that stuff is uh, like if I was in a bunch of different countries and I would have to have local uh, tax accountants, people, yeah, yeah, local accountants. Like it just it can add a lot of complexity. So I thought a lot about that, and it's nice right now to just have like the U.S. and Colombia to deal with um, because yeah, you know, I looked at like Peru. I looked at Mexico, like over there in uh, Plato Carmen and Tulum back in the day. Uh, Spain, like I've looked over there. <laughs> yeah. Well, here, here's what I would, uh, my, my next question would be, there's probably a lot of commonality that people could glean from this episode, even if they're not interested in investing in Medellin or investing in Colombia, but they're probably Canadian or they're American and uh, they're going to be investing in their first Latin American market. Maybe they're investing in Playa 
maybe somewhere else um, because they see uh, they see an opportunity. Um, and I think there's probably a lot of commonality um, between these places, Mexico, Colombia, Panama, whatever, um, just in terms of how the process works and, and things like that. What, what, are, what are some of those things that you would tell a North American investor uh, looking to invest in the Latin American market for the first time? Yeah, so you definitely want to have a good lawyer. You want to have somebody who understands all the local regulation and, and all that stuff because uh, while the process overall might be the same, there's definitely very particular things in the process of, of buying and and how they do things and all the fees, like all the additional notary fees, which sometimes can be significant. Um, so you really want to have a good uh, local person and obviously that like that person needs to speak English if you're not super good at Spanish, because even though my Spanish is pretty good now, like all these contracts and these things that you have to do, I mean, they're pretty advanced Spanish. <laughs> like, you know, you're talking financial things and it's extreme, it's extremely high level Spanish. Mm-hmm. So you get a good lawyer. Uh, what else? Like, have you ever had problems like moving the money from the States to Colombia? Uh, there's a, a bank that is pretty common for foreigners to use. It's called Alianza Valores. And you have to set up an account with them because you don't have like a cedula. You don't have a local ID at the time to, you know, get like a Bank Colombia account usually. Uh, so they're kind of specialized in that. But all the, the lawyers should like have a good relationship with them and be able to expedite anything with them. But they also have a pretty strict due diligence process here. Uh, Alianza, like the banks. Uh, obviously because of the history of Colombia and, you know, moving money and things like that. So it's, it's not the easiest process. It can be pretty drawn out, but uh, you definitely, you need that. Like you don't want to do some weird transfer. Like you want to follow a pretty proven process that most foreigners are going to be doing. Like it should be very similar for most foreigners. Yeah, definitely makes sense. And so are you are you uh, setting up like an LOI on a property and making an offer on a property first? Or do you bring the money into the country first so you have a bit more leverage and being like, look, bro, I got the cash, like, let's do it? Or do you make the offer first and then you, you go through the, the uh, expatriation of the money or whatever and maybe that slows down the process? Yeah, that's a good question because um colombian norms are definitely different like people aren't that motivated to people don't expect their properties to sell super quickly so if you had the money here theoretically and you were like look you know i can do it really quick i don't think that incentivizes them as much here they're very much like i bought it at this price i want to sell it at this price like if i have to wait five years to sell it at that price they'll wait (laughs) it sounds crazy but it's it's what you see a lot here so um, me, I don't think I've ever had the money super ready to go. Just like I haven't been able to use that as any leverage. Um, and then once you get that account set up, you can do everything pretty quickly. Like you could do everything within a week, really. So and usually all the, the things like the I think they call it a promesa, uh, like the, the letter of intent, like with the offer and everything to sign that and then to go to closing, like they definitely need a little bit of time here usually. So yeah, I don't think the, it's not so common for people to do anything too quickly here. <laughs> what, what would be the time frame? Like, let's just say you visit a property, uh, you visit a property, you like it. You're like, let's do it, man. I like this ocean view. Um, this is the one. 
um, 125k. Let's do it. How how long is that process gonna be um, with all the steps? So I would say there's two important things there. It's if you already have the account set up with Alianza, uh, then it would probably like your typical process would probably be. I mean, typical would probably still be three, four, five weeks, like to sign everything, to get the person to go to the notary and, and do the closing, like all the little things in between. Uh, it probably would, yeah, it's probably still like a month, give or take a week, either way. Uh, if you don't have that account with Alianza set up yet, uh, that process can sometimes take two to four or five weeks to set up as well. Like, unfortunately, they're not the most responsive at times. I've heard that from multiple people. So yeah, you're looking at another, another month possibly on top of, uh, on top of that. Okay, cool. Um, so I'll switch it up a bit and let's talk a little bit about residency and citizenship if you're open to that. Yeah. So, um, I think most people are aware that it's possible to get residency in Colombia by making a, a real estate purchase. Uh, did you go that route? That is exactly what I did, actually. Yeah, that was one of the reasons that um, that I, I started down this path. And I know that uh, if you there's like thresholds, right? So it's like if you buy a property up to 150K or something, you get maybe a temporary resident permit. And if it's over the threshold or, you know, a significantly more amount, uh, you can go straight to permanent resident. Uh, you, you must know a bit more about it than I do. Yeah, so that's the general concept. the The numbers are a little fuzzy about what, like, what they are now, and then that will be changing in, uh, like, on January first. That will adjust again. So, if people are listening to this in twenty twenty three, then you know this might be outdated. But uh, it's basically, yeah, you have those two tiers. You have like, um, uh, anyway, I think it, I think it was like uh, thirty, forty thousand or something like that. Like, if you invest that in Colombia, then you get. Uh, you get a residency, like you get to live here, you get the visa. Uh, but I think you have to renew that every one or two years. And then like you were talking about the, the upper tier visa. Uh, and that was what I got back at the time. And I think back in the day, it used to be around 150, but I think it's around 160, 170. Maybe that's changed with the peso changing so rapidly this year. Uh, but again, that's going to change at the end of the year, the beginning of 2023. So yeah, there's basically that first level and then the second level. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunately changed this, this year, like with Petro, um, they made some changes and they're actually not giving like the super good visa that I had or that I have, uh, that one is basically phased out and you get the level below it now for doing that highest tier. So the, the one that I got was really great because it actually doesn't ever have an expiration date. It's uh, basically, yeah, like I could have this visa for life now. I don't have to, I'm, I don't have to uh, like hold the real estate. I don't have to hold the money, uh, anything like that. Like I, I completed the requirements back in 2016 or 17 or whatever it was, and now I'm good. But uh, that, that's not the case anymore. Um, it's, I believe, a five-year validity uh, but it's pretty easy to renew. Um, again, you might want to just have like a lawyer to help you with that process and renew. I actually renewed mine uh, earlier this year. Um, 
but yeah, you essentially get those two levels and like, it's a full, you know, live here all you want, work here all you want. Uh, uh, and then, so one of the benefits, uh, which, you know, hopefully your listeners will find interesting because you talk about citizenship a lot, like this put me on a path to be able to be eligible for a Colombian citizenship. And, uh, and then, and then you would have like, there's not super great benefits to that, but you know, you, you get a second passport, uh, for example, I believe you can go to Russia visa free, uh, obviously Venezuela, which is a difficult visa to get as an American. So there's some visa benefits to it, mm-hmm. but man, it is extremely difficult to actually pass this test and become a Colombian citizen. So at the time when I got this, they didn't have this requirement of like doing like completing a test. I think it was uh, 2020 that they introduced this new, this new, like, Hey, you have to pass this Spanish language test and this other knowledge test uh, to get the citizenship. And so I've been working on that and <laughs> it is just crazy how difficult the, the test seems like it's going to be. It's a, uh, it's basically covering like four things. It's covering uh, obviously Spanish knowledge. Like you have to be able to speak Spanish, write Spanish. Um, and it's at somewhat of like an intermediate advanced level. And then it goes into things like the, the geography of Colombia, which is probably the easiest. Uh, and then it goes into like, uh, you know, historical, historically significant dates and people in Colombia. Uh, and then there's a few other things, but it's, like random Columbia facts. And then, and then you actually have to also study the constitution of Columbia, which seems extremely difficult. That's the thing that's kind of scaring me now. Like if I'm actually going to be able to do this or not. Do you think it's gotten harder over time? Uh, well, they didn't have this. They didn't even have this test before. It was just like, okay, if you've had the, if you've had the visa for five years, uh, then yeah, like fill out this paperwork and then you can become a Colombian citizen. But now it's like, you have to do this test and pass the test. And, uh, there's actually a thing. I don't even know what happens if you fail it twice, but it says, you know, you can take it two times. So I don't know what happens if you fail <laughs> two times. Like, are they going to make me wait? You remember up? there was, uh, that one famous, uh, Columbia YouTuber, Zach Morris, I think. And he yeah. got the, the Colombian passport. Do you think he, he did the test? Oh man, I actually talked to him about it. So yeah, there's a couple of cool things that I can share here. So I talked to him about it and, uh, I think he did a video on it. Even he, he like essentially because he was well known and kind of well-respected like amongst Colombians, somebody basically who had a family member behind the government, like hooked him up and was like, Oh, you want citizenship? Like, uh, like I, my, you know, my dad can, can get it for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. The Latin so, American way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the Colombian way to get it right. Like just be connected to the right person. Um, and then I spoke to someone this year. Uh, I spoke to them a few times this year to follow their progress, but it was like, I was asking around, Hey, have, have any foreigners actually done this test? And I had one girl from Ecuador. Uh, I'm not sure why exactly she wanted Colombian citizenship if she was already from South America, but she yeah she did the test and she said oh my god it was extremely difficult like i didn't even it was extremely difficult she didn't study a ton but obviously she knew the spanish language stuff so she passed that fine but then she did study some of you know the the geography and the the holidays things like that like famous colombian people and she said that she thought she failed 
like she didn't think there was any way that she passed, but she, she got it. She, uh, this was like, she took the test like a long time ago and I followed up with her a couple of weeks ago and she had actually, she sent me the photo of like her ceremony where she got her Colombian citizenship. So it's almost like, like, I actually feel like they made the test so hard, you know, somebody just, Oh, like we're going to write the test like this. And they didn't think about how extremely difficult that would be in context. And, uh, and then she, she probably actually did fail and they were just like, ah, oh, whatever, give it to her. <laughs> yeah. So you really got to study. Like, I think it's typical. I think it's typical for most countries to have a test as part of the naturalization process. Uh, I think every country I've heard about in Latin America has that Mexico, et cetera. And it'll typically include maybe knowing at least the first couple bars of the national anthem. Um, it'll include maybe knowing some of the main rivers, like the names of the rivers. It might include knowing the names of, of historical presidents uh, and important historical figures. Um, try to think what else, but yeah, you definitely, you need to know the country that you're naturalizing in for sure. Right. Yeah. It's definitely taught me a lot studying this. So that's actually been super cool. But, uh, like if they just set the bar extremely high, then it's not going to be valuable for anyone because nobody's going to be able to pass this. I mean, uh, so there's actually a study guide too. I should mention this because this is, for anyone who's interested in Googling this, they can mm -hmm. Google like the, the Colombian citizenship uh, study guide and the government. So the government posts that on the website and uh, it's, it's just ex like when you look at the questions, it's crazy, man. It's like name the last 10 presidents in order. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's, that's like a question on there that they expect you to be able to answer. And you know what happens in some countries though, is um, it's the same test every year or, or given to every applicant. Like they don't mix it up really. Mm -hmm. And so the immigration lawyer that you work with through the naturalization process, they know the test and sometimes they can either sit with you on the test as quote unquote a translator and sort of just like feed you the answers or um, you can so, like the, there's there's some things that if you have a good contact or a lawyer, they can sort of make it easier for you. Well, that's a good tip. I appreciate that because I'm actually going to look into that then. But uh uh, I, so, so few people have done this that, uh, it's actually hard to find a lawyer though. Um, you would think that because so many people have these visas that, that there'd be more of a business for this, but the, like I have spoken to a few lawyers now in Medellin and they literally have no clients who have done this test successfully. Well, uh, just no one that's even even taken it like nobody's wanted it. You know, they're just happy with their visa for life. Like, again, it's it's a little bit like, do I really want this? You know, how about do I want another passport? Is Colombia the right country for it? Um, there's a lot of negatives to it, to be honest, because it's a pretty not friendly tax country. So I'm still a little bit on the fence about it. But it's just surprising now that I've been researching this, that so few people have done it. And um, like not just that they've successfully passed it, that like no one's even done this process. Except that one I, girl. I, I think it's definitely worth doing like hundred percent. Well, it's, you know, I've, I've fulfilled all the requirements. So do I really want to start from zero in another country or spend the money for, you know, a Caribbean one or something like that? That's really the, right. 
what the situation and, is. And I think one question that people have about the Columbia citizenship process is if it's possible to meet the requirements uh, without spending more than six months a year in Colombia, or basically what the, the physical presence requirements are. Um, do you just need to have the residency for five years? Do you need to spend a certain amount of time in Colombia? Um, maybe if on paper you don't, but like in reality, in order to get accepted, you, you probably should. Like, what's your what's your sense of it? My sense is right now, I believe that there was a requirement that you have to be here one day a year, or maybe it was one day every six months. There was some there was a, definitely a physical presence requirement. Uh, I believe with 2020, they waived that for that year. But, I, you know, it's it was technically like, yeah, you're supposed to be here once a year. Um, and so it's a pretty it's a pretty low bar. Uh, you know, you don't have to stay here a ton of time. I think that would be in, encouraging to a lot of people. Yeah, but there's all these crazy changes. I mean, they've they've done a lot of changes to the visa stuff recently. Uh, they've really shaken it up, you know. But they have introduced a, a nomad visa now, um, which is pretty easy to get. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's just kind of lame, though. In what ways have they they shaken it up? Well, the nomad visa that was one mm-hmm. thing. Like people can definitely get that easier now than or because basically everybody before was just doing. Oh yeah, I'm doing a spanish school and they would come and get like the student visa and that was pretty easy but it seems like the bar is pretty low for the digital nomad one i think it's you have to show like a thousand dollars a month of income or something like that um but people definitely uh or well so also on the changes like i said they're they're basically not giving as great of visas they're not giving this one that's valid for life that i have uh you know they're giving like one step down from that now even if you're investing uh, a pretty large amount and I should mention too, um, I don't think that these, uh, that you have to do real estate. Like I think you could, you know, you could do like a stock investment. I think you could have invested in bonds, um, even at that lower, at that lower level, uh, one that we were talking about, it's, it's like an investment in Colombia in some form, not, it doesn't have to be real estate. Right. Yeah. I've heard of people that like, uh, like split a purchase and and they each like put like 30 grand in hmm. and, and that worked <laughs> yeah that's pretty smart then yeah i've definitely heard though that the higher level one is really worth it in terms of when it comes to renewing uh, which can be a headache and um and just sort of maintaining it yeah i know somebody who uh had the one below me and then they had to renew it this year and they screwed up the process and they lost it. And then they had to go, like they had to leave the country to go to Miami and do the, to fix it essentially in the embassy there. Cause they were running out of days in Colombia. Wow. And they almost had to start again. Yeah, pretty much. I'm not sure. I'm actually very curious about that because I don't know if now he's going to have a new cedula number or if they reinstated his old one. I was I actually haven't asked uh, about that. So um, I, I feel like you, you spent so much time in Colombia, in Latin America. You're going on seven years or something. You visited most of the countries. I feel like I should try to squeak out one or two stories from you, just kind of random things. But I almost don't even know what to ask. Do you have like one or two like go-to stories that you tell at cocktail parties or anything like that? Um, 
Well, so one of the ones that comes to mind would be, it's kind of about Venezuela as well, like the whole border region over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a trip to Cucuta, which is, uh, it's a Colombian city on the border of Venezuela. And, um, you know, we wanted to see what the situation is with, with Venezuelans, like in that city, because being right there, uh, obviously, you know, over the years, like I've just seen this massive migrant influx of Venezuelans and, uh, and they're great people. And so I was just interested, like we went over there, we went to check out the border, like the literal border, uh, which is a bridge in this case. And, um, so we kind of started walking and, uh, next thing we know, we walked through like this one section. And then I think it's kind of like a no man's land in between Venezuela and Colombia. But, you know, there's no line, like there's no line on the ground. It's like, this is the end of Colombia and this is the beginning of Venezuela. And so we were just walking around this area. And then the next thing we know, we had like a Venezuelan police asking us like, what are you guys doing? And, uh, we're just, oh yeah, we're just here in Colombia checking it out. <laughs> like you guys are in Venezuela now, technically. And, uh, so that was super sketchy and I learned a lesson. <laughs> what was but, the lesson? Uh, yeah, don't cross that bridge and just wander around. And we didn't like, we didn't have our passports with us. We didn't have, uh, so as an American, you know, you need a visa. So that's, that was no bueno that I was technically in Venezuela. My friend was European, so he could have entered, but he didn't have his passport with him or anything. And uh, really the only thing that saved us is that this guy works for the UN. And so when he said that to the guy, he was uh, the guy, you know, he wasn't going to try and like make us bribe him or anything like that or steal our phone. Um, but it was just crazy because as you're walking along that bridge, like on the, the legal border, I mean, you look over to your left, look over to your right. And there's just all these people crossing a river, just elite, just totally illegally. Like, but it's completely like everybody sees it. There's exactly. no, you know, the police are right there watching it happen and they're not doing anything. So it's crazy. It's just the notion of like a border, right there is is really interesting and that's changed now like that border is technically all open and um like the relations have changed but that was that was crazy that was a really bad idea so don't do that (laughs) so is it kind of like a free flow of movement now uh yeah i mean it was pretty free flowing before really to be honest like you go there and uh, (laughs) again we just stuck we just stood out so much that they were like what are you guys doing and, uh, I mean, they don't, they don't ask like the, the local people, you know, they're just walking back from Colombia to Venezuela and walking from Venezuela to Colombia and nobody, nobody stops them. But then, you know, when we walked back through the, the Colombian side where they were like, okay, what are you guys doing? We're like, no, no, no. We just crossed. We didn't even realize we crossed like wave to that guy over there. He said, we're good. <laughs> and yeah, they let us back in without any hassle, but. Uh, it's a super informal, it was, it was already a super informal border and seeing that in real life was just, it's like, oh, this is even crazier than I expected. It's super wild, man. You can say you've, uh, been to Venezuela. (laughs) Yeah. So that's basically my story is that whenever, whenever anybody asks me if I've been to Venezuela, you know, I can say that. What, what countries you still got to knock off? Uh, I mean, I want to go into Venezuela proper. Uh, that's like. That would be number one on my list for sure. And uh, I'm really interested in Bolivia, like La Paz and um, some of the smaller cities. Santa Cruz, I believe is the name of the other one. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. I've seen you guys post photos from there. That look really cool. 
Um, and I mean, I'm honestly not that interested in Uruguay. I, I could have gone when I was in Argentina and just like, we didn't even bother. So those are the two that really inter interest me the most. And I've been to Brazil a few times and I mentioned that I was, you know, learning Portuguese. Um, it's just, if you're going to be on this continent, it's just such like a big country and it seems super interesting. So even though I've been to Brazil, I just want to go to completely different parts of Brazil and explore. Mm -hmm. Definitely, man. Well, I hope you keep up the, uh, ex explore spirit there. And, um, yeah, I guess I guess at this point of the podcast, you could, uh, promote anything that you want, give a little shout out to the audience. Yeah, I don't think I have anything to promote. I won't do shameless Airbnb promotions. But uh, no, shout out to you for doing this podcast because, you know, I've been listening and, and you have really interesting people on and really interesting stories. Like, you know, again, we've had some uh, mutual friends that have been on. It's been fun to listen to to their travel stories. And it's always cool to, to see the stuff you post on Twitter. Thank you, man. I certainly appreciate that. Uh, this has been another episode of the My Latin Life podcast. Today's guest has been Jam Master Nate. Nate, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it.